0: I think I have figured out one of the reasons we are all so bad at talking to each other. So I want to give you some lessons I have learned from the headlines this week, including that ridiculous Trump tweet storm regarding LeBron James. We'll get started on today's True Act Show. This is the best. In just a moment, I want to remind you of one of the major themes of my show, and indeed, something of a theme of life. But first, my name is Corey Truax, securing the blessings of liberty since 1986. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beechwood Church. Beechwood Church meets at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville every Sunday morning at 10.30. We would love to see you there, whoever you are. So one of the things I don't like doing is the show that everyone else does. I don't like doing the podcast and radio show that you can get everywhere. Because here is the show that everyone else is going to do this week. They're going to get on the air and say, hey, so there were some tweets that the president had over the weekend, last weekend, about uh, the, uh, his son meeting with those, uh, that, that Russian lawyer, Vessel Neskayev, I think her name is. Oh, and there was a tweet thing about LeBron James, and he called him stupid, and then there was also some more headlines about the Russia thing, that's all that people do. It's, hey, what what's in the news, and how does it affect the president, and how does it affect the midterm elections? That's what every show does. They are dictated to by the newscasts. So whatever CNN, Fox, say, hey, this is what you should talk about. This is in the news. They just do that. And they give you their opinion on it. They give you their thoughts. I think we're all going to regret having done that. I don't think it's too far in the future. A couple decades maybe that we're all going to wish we had been thinking deeper. I mean, just ask yourself for an honest second. Do you remember the controversy that led all the newscast even a month ago? Could you really think about it? Like, in July, early July, what was the thing people were arguing about the most? I think it was when tr- the president said uh, that he believed Putin's uh, Vladimir Putin's claim that they that the Russians didn't interfere in the election, and then the next day he said, well, of course, I didn't mean that. Uh, that I, I left out an apostrophe. I, I said should or shouldn't, or I said shouldn't, and should have said should, or something like that. Do you even remember that? We don't remember any of these things. Because ultimately they're not important. But that's how all the other shows go. The shows are, let me tell you about what's in the news, and let me give you my opinion on it. I don't want to do that. This comes from another big theme from Eleanor Roosevelt. Maybe you've heard it before, that it is small minds that talk about people. It is medium minds that talk about events. But it is big minds that talk about ideas. So I have very little interest in giving you my opinion on the news of the week. But there are some things from the news of the week that can teach us something about ideas and teaching something about ourselves. And that's what I want to do today. That's another thing we need to focus on is ourselves, in a weird way. I don't mean that to be, that that we would be selfish. But the bottom line is, if you look around the world and you see things that discourage you, it's not the powerful people that are causing a lot of your problems. We are causing our own problems. Until we are fixed as a people, I don't know how anything gets better. So, I want to get deeper today on these The stories of the week and the personalities, because the stories and the personalities are going to fade away, so let's get deeper. Here we go. I came up with a theory this week, and it's about wartime. Maybe if you, you remember in history, maybe you've read Tom Brokaw's Greatest Generation, where he made a very, I think, intelligent claim that the generation of World War II was maybe our greatest set of people, and he would argue that wartime revealed the best in us that it was the pressure of war that led to people being their best best selves. I would argue that is often the case, that sometimes war war reveals who the heroes are. Wartime thinking, a warlike mindset, that will reveal those that have good character, those who are courageous, those who are selfless. It is wartime that reveals who those people are. But let's not fool ourselves. Wartime thinking has also revealed the worst of humanity. Some of our worst atrocities, some of our worst acts, the way we've cheated each other, the way we've murdered each other, the, the, the double crossing, the all of the things that we've done in war. Yeah, sometimes it reveals the best in folks, but let's be honest. Sometimes re- war reveals the worst in us. And I think that's what we're seeing in American discourse in the political world. People actually do believe that they're at war with the other side. I posted something like that on Facebook here recently, and I was discouraged by the response. I said something to the effect of if if we will start treating people or stop treating people like an enemy to defeat, if, if we would stop seeing the other side this way, I think right and left sees the other side as if they win, if they have power, we will probably all be in poverty and they'll be murdering each other within years. Just a couple of years, will probably completely destroy the society. If those Democrats, if those liberals from the other side, if those conservatives, if those Republicans, if they're in charge, they're literally going to kill us all. We're all going to die, so we have to defeat them. We have to, by all means necessary, we're at war, and them winning necessitates that it's me losing. There's not even a neutrality. If they win, I'm losing, and it's going to ruin and wreck everything. If we could stop doing that, we would have better citizens... We would have better discourse, and we would have a better country. But that's the mindset that we're in. That if those other people over there, if they're in charge, it will destroy everything. We're all going to die. That's war. It's wartime mentality. It's wartime thinking. It's not bringing out the best in us. It's bringing out the worst. Wartime thinking often leads you to... to the conclusion that we have to win by whatever means necessary. And that almost seems logical, right? Well, because if you're in war and you lose, what does it necessarily mean? It almost always necessarily means your death or your subjugation. Death or slavery. Not always, but often. That's what what losing a war means. Well, what would you do not to be killed or to be enslaved? Anything. You would sacrifice every principle you've ever had. You will violate every line of morality you think you've ever you've ever thought you would keep to because the stakes are so high you would do anything not to lose i'm reminded even right now of the walking dead the show it's not that great anymore but it had some great seasons it it explores that idea what line won't you cross to survive If you really do feel like it's war, and if we lose, all is lost. Literally all is lost. The country will fall apart. We will, we're going to be Venezuela. Like, it's going to be shooting dogs in the streets because we're out of food. That's how it seems right and left feel about the other. If those people win, everything is destroyed. That kind of thinking is leading us to whatever means necessary, whatever we must do. If I have to change my position from one minute to the other, if I have to violate every principle I said we had, if I have to violate every principle, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, everything I said I believed, I, I, we, I'll i do it. We have to win. And that's what has broken our brains. The reason I look out at left and right and see such... Horrendous inconsistency. I see so much broken logic. The reason I see it is because everyone's so terrified that they're at war. War is not bringing out the best in us. So here's what I want to give you. I noticed this in some ways and I want to illustrate it to you. I want to prove to you that I'm right. That war is how everyone feels. I don't feel that way. I don't feel at war with Trump supporters I don't feel at war with Trump opposers I don't feel at war with the resistance I don't feel at uh at war with the make America great again people or fill in the blank Republicans Democrats I don't I'm not at war in it with anybody and so it's not live or die for me I think some folks actually think it's live or die and so if I if I lose an election and didn't go the way I wanted that's okay we're not going to be destroyed by it it's just an election it's fine we're not live or die on these things. It doesn't have to be war. We can all live together. So I want to prove it to you. Here's some of the things I've seen. War has made us worse. War has broken our brains. And I'm going to critique primarily my side. But it's a lot of this applies to left and right. I'll give you one example. Early this week, I saw a poll. that It was not a majority. It was not even a plurality. It was just a lot. A lot of people we're asked, so you have over 2,000 people were asked the question in the poll, if the Russians, and you can fill in this blank with a different country if you want, because I know that the Russia thing is very testy for Trump people, so fill it in with it. If it makes you more comfortable, that's fine. Fill the blank in with somebody else. But the question was asked, if the Russians interfered in the 2018 midterm elections to help Republicans, would you be okay with that? And then they asked, If the the Russians interfered in the 2018 election to help Democrats, would you be okay with that? And too many Republicans, about a third, said absolutely I'd be okay with that. It goes along with some more anecdotal evidence I saw on Twitter here recently of after those nine Russians were indicted for election interference... I saw some Trump people out on Twitter saying, well, good. as long. I mean, if they were helping us get rid of Hillary, if they were helping us beat Hillary, then fine. I mean, when they, were, they were on the right team. What causes that? What causes you to say, this republic that we've set up, that we should be managing together as Americans, If the if a foreign government got involved to help one side, I'm totally okay with that. You know what does that? War. Because you think, by whatever means necessary. Whatever we have to do to win, because if they win, it's over, and so it's wartime. I'm in survival mode. I don't doubt the left would respond the same way. It's fill in a different country. Fill in Canada for that matter. Fill in France. If France interfer- if Iran interfered in the 2018 midterm election to help Democrats win, would you be okay with that? You know Democrat. Most Democrats, or at least the same amount of Democrats as Republicans, probably, that would say it about Russia would say, fine. Why? Why would you be comfort- comfortable with that? Because war. It's war. We have to stop them. And the other side, I think, would even look at the other and criticize it for crit- criticize the other. They, I think they would look at a mirror image of themselves and not even reconci- recognize they are seeing that that person is using the same logic as the, as they are, because our brains are broken. And I think, I'm not totally sure I'm right, number one. Number two, I would never claim that this is the primary thing that's happening. Like, the reason our brains are broken is this wartime mentality. But I think this is what's different. I think this is what's changed over the years, is now it really, for a lot of people, on left and right, it feels like the other people are so terrifying and so destructive. You have to defeat them by any means necessary. I have quite a few more examples of this. We're going to flesh it out today. So stick with us for the rest of The Corey Act Show. Welcome back to The Corey Act Show. Glad to have you with us. If you would connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, you can look for me, Corey Truack. You will find me there connect to the show there. You can also connect to the show just through email. If you want to email it's cory.truax, cory.truax at ngu.edu. Working on another guest coming up here soon. Someone with whom I disagree because of those conversations I found to be uh, most entertaining for you and I think most instructive as well. What I'm giving you today is my new theory as to what's broken us. Why are we bad at talking to each other? What is what is the re- another reason that our minds are so inconsistent, why the American brain seems so broken to not process things clearly and not to be consistent in its thinking. And that theory is we're all thinking in wartime. Or not all. Don't include me in this. It's wartime thinking. Sometimes war brings out the best in people. It often has brought out the worst in humanity. War is what makes people do whatever it takes to win. And that kind of fear that comes with wartime thinking is breaking our brains. So I just gave you one example of this poll about people who are, who would be okay if a foreign government interfered in an election. As long as it helped my side, then it would be okay. Another one I saw this week has to do with one of our embassies, or at least one of our diplomatic buildings. A picture started circulating on the Internet of a embassy or a diplomatic building in Israel, an American building in Israel, and underneath Old Glory, underneath the American flag, was flying a second flag. And it was the LGBT rainbow flag. Apparently in that city in Israel, or maybe it was Israel-wide, there was a big gay pride, LGBT pride event or week, or something like that. And so whoever was running that part of the diplomatic service for the United States in that building decided to celebrate with Israel and put up an LGBT flag underneath the American flag. Even Jeff Duncan, who is... My congressman over here, the third congressional district in South Carolina, he put on Facebook something about it. He was he was criticizing it, and even in the comments of that post from Jeff Duncan, one of the most pro-Trump, he's a Trump cheerleader, one of the most pro-Trump people in Congress, puts that up and criticizes it. And there were people on that feed who basically were saying, "How dare you? Why bring this up? You know, you're trying to make the president look bad." That it's under his State Department that this flag is flying. Don't talk about the president this way. You know, don't do this. Why does that happen? Why does someone who would uh, someone who would say I have a problem with an American diplomatic building flying an LGBT flag in any given scenario, but when it's during this administration and there's a congressman who used to be like super conservative but is very Trumpy when he calls it out. You actually criticize the congressman for bringing it up. Why? Because it's about war. I know who's on my, fight, my side. I know who's going to fight for me, whatever that means. And so I got to defend at what cost? At all cost? At the cost of all of my principles? At the cost of all of my beliefs? At the cost of all of my morals? Whatever it costs me, I have to support because we're at war. And if those people win, we'll never recover again. Let's not pretend. That all the people on that Jeff Duncan feed who were defending this flag, I hate to play this card, but it's so important. What if Barack Obama had done it? What if Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State when a diplomatic building flew the LGBT pride flag? Would they have criticized it? You better believe they would have. You would have had that angry reaction. Fox News would have had it up all the time. Can you believe the audacity of this president putting an LGBT flag underneath the American flag? It's un-American! But why is the brain so broken? Why would it have been so bad if Obama would have done it, but there's just there's people angry at you even talking about it. Don't even bring it up. There's anger. Why? War. Fear. When you think the other side's going to destroy you and everything's about war and winning and losing and losing very much necessitates that you will be destroyed forever For in some way, you will excuse anything. And it's breaking our brains. Another example, I saw a poll this week where it was only about a quarter. It's too many, but a quarter of Republicans, a little bit more than that. It said a president, it didn't say President Trump, but the president, the person with that those powers invested in him or her. The The president should be able to unilaterally shut down, close down media sources that give out false information. So, I mean, that think it's really dangerous. Let me ask you again, because I don't know why people need to have this kind of clarity offered to them to understand the consequences, but are you cool with Br- Barack Obama playing that role? Would you be okay with Barack Obama just deciding I'm shutting that down. A President Hillary Clinton, a President Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren just I'm shutting down that media source cuz I say it's an it's not accurate. But a full over 25% of Republicans say absolutely. Of course he should be able to do that. Why? Why is that the reaction to, like, literally a fundamental part of the Constitution, freedom of speech and freedom of press, both in the First Amendment? Those are two separate liberties, freedom of speech and freedom of press. What causes somebody to go, who cares? Who cares about the First Amendment? Who cares about freedom of speech and freedom of the press? you got to let the president shut them down. Why? War. War does that to people. Maybe not as much in the Revolutionary War for us, but we saw it in the Civil War. We saw we saw Americans do the worst things to each other. One of our most popular presidents, Abraham Lincoln, suspends habeas, cor- habeas corpus. We start executing people without trial. Some of the worst things we've ever done. What? Why did we do them? War. And what I'm trying to convince you today is you're not at war. That's what's broken your brain so much. It's why you're so inconsistent. It's why you would say one thing for... That, that, that LeBron excuse me that uh, we'll talk about LeBron James in a minute and that's why I came up with when Barack Obama would do something and Donald Trump would do something left and right. You look one of them did it and you're okay with it. the other one does it, you're not okay with it. Why? Because you think you're at war and listen, you're not. Politics isn't at the end all. Government control, government power it's not the it's not the center of the universe. It's okay. You calm down. Your life's not going to end if the other side wins which brings me to my fourth example here. One of the big stories over last weekend was the president, for no reason whatsoever, decided to tweet about LeBron James and Don Lemon. Don Lemon is admittedly a tro- an atrocious excuse for a journalist. He, is, he went through a period of time where I was kind of impressed with him. He seemed actually curious, at least curious about the things he didn't know and what other people believed. He might have some of that in him, but again, the Trump phenomenon has broken left and right. No one is curious anymore. Everyone just knows their position and they know who their side they're on. They just want to fight. Don Lemon interviewed LeBron James, the basketball star, best player of the last twenty years, and t- totally unprovoked, the president tweets yeah, the Don Lemon this you know, he, this dumb or low IQ. Uh, Don Lemon, the worst person on television, interviews LeBron James. He makes LeBron James look smart, which is hard to do, so he's calling LeBron James stupid. I I need you to be an honest person right now if you're a Trump person. If Barack Obama tweets that about Tim Tebow, are you okay with that? And not only are you not okay with the message, would you not have just thought, why don't you just stick to what you're doing? Why don't you stick to policy? Why don't you stick to politics? Why don't you stick to government? What are you doing going on over here with this non sports It wasn't even really a sports-related interview. It was about LeBron James' service in Cleveland and what's going on in his life. Would you have been okay with it? If Barack Obama tweeted a snide thing, an insulting thing about Tim Tebow? Bottom line is, for a lot of you listening to me, the answer is no. You would not be okay with it. And I need you to ask yourself why. Why would it why when if, if Barack Obama would have tweeted something about Tim Tebow, I'd have said, mind your business and get to politics and I'd have been mad about it. And when LeBron and when Donald Trump tweets about LeBron James, you celebrate it. Why? I think part of it is just war. You think you're at war, and so for one side, you will. Totally excuse bad behavior, and listen to me, that's objectively bad behavior. There is no defense. There, It is objectively bad, forget about the president for a second, for just an adult to go, these th- for, for an adult with a public eye who actually has people watch him, these two idiots are on TV, and that one's dumb, and that one's dumber, without any provocation whatsoever, this is objectively bad. There is no morality to it. There's no argument for it. You cannot make one. It's an objectively bad thing to do. There's no excuse. And if you found a way to excuse it, it's cuz you think you're at war. Let me tell you, you're not at war. The other side's not going to destroy you, not going to destroy your wealth, your family, the country. Just get to get to a place where you where you can be loyal to what you believe can go back to that core thing i started with it's the small minds that talk about people it's the medium minds that talk about events it is the big minds that talk about ideas here we are culturally on every side sacrificing the ideas on the authors of the events and the in the people we define good and bad by the by the personality who who did the event who did the action and no one is in, is concerned with what was the idea what was the principle until we fix that as a people, we can fix nothing else. Got to get back to ideas and principles. One last example of this, and we will move on. One last example of it is this wartime thinking that's breaking everyone's brains. I actually had someone outright say to me about two weeks ago when I brought up one of these examples. Well, and I said, you know, if, if Barack Obama would have done it, would you have been okay with it? And they straight said, "Well, no, but Donald Trump's not Barack Obama. It's just it's because they are different people that I can be inconsistent." And it was on the idea of tariffs. So I, I, I even went back to when, if you don't remember, let me let me teach you some history. There was a time in 2000 and uh, I think it's 14, 14 or fifteen. Barack Obama imposed a tire tariff. It was supposed to be. In response to China, dumping t- cheap tires, a bunch of American tire companies did not like that competition, so he tried to punish the tire manufacturers there in China by making them more expensive to sell over here. And people like me, and a lot of folks on the right, the folks that are very much in for- in favor of tariffs for Trump now, they were all up in arms, because what's a tariff? Well, we all knew then, we all knew then, t- a tariff is a tax, I'm going to pay the tax. We're all going to pay more for tires so we can help the tire people. We don't want to pay that tax. That's just a tax increase in the American people. That's what we were all saying then. And now it's happening again. Now we have a a bunch of new tariffs. They are equally dumb. And it's totally fine with that certain group of people. And I asked one of them why. It's because it's Trump. Trump knows what he's doing. He He just knows. So do you actually believe anything about tariffs? Because a tariff is an objective good or bad. It's an objective policy. Who imposes it does not change whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. Ideas are good or bad in a vacuum. They are not affected by who supports them, who doesn't support them, who argues for them or argues against them. An idea is an idea is an idea is an idea. But we're not there. I had someone just straight up say. "Well, Because Trump is doing it, it's different. It's different because it's him. At least they admit it. But this is where we are. Yet another thing we have to fix about ourselves. If we think we are at war, we're going to continue to think poorly. Our our thinking will be dim. We will be dim-witted. We will be dim in our thinking. Another example of dim thinking. We're moving on from that mindset of war. What I just wanted to call out, because uh, let's, again, let's be people of ideas. Let's be people of logic and how we think through things. If you don't know a guy named... Oh, this is really risky for me to try to pronounce his name. I've been watching this guy, I don't know, for 10 years on YouTube. He has a very successful YouTube channel. And he used to have a, a show on MSNBC. I think you pronounce his name Sink. It is C-E-N-K. He is a Turkish person. I mean, he grew up in America. He's of Turkish descent. And he, he had a, a show on YouTube called The Young Turks. It is by far the most liberal thing on YouTube and television. He's a He's a socialist he's really bombastic, just even stylistically, where I might be curious about how a socialist comes to their conclusions. I would never watch Sink for him. I think his last name is pronounced Iger. It's Sink Iger. And I would never watch him for those opinions because he's, again, so bombastic. He's aggressive. He's, it's just not smart. It's not smart TV. It's not smart broadcasting. But Sink got upset with Tucker Carlson. Because Tucker Carlson of Fox News, I think his show airs at 8 o'clock on Fox each night, he called out Stormy Daniels, the woman who had the, uh, the, committed the adultery with Donald Trump a few years ago, called uh, porn stars uh, unseemly, or uh, I think that was the word. He, he basically said something true about porn stars. Like, they're as the word indecent. Yeah, porn stars are indecent. Now, by definition, that's just true. You know what's not decent? Getting naked and having sex with someone on TV. That's a, that is not a decent thing to do. By definition, by definition, porn stars are indecent. But Sink Iger tweets out there, "You tell me Tucker Carlson's never seen not never seen pornography. He's never watched a pornographic video. How dare he call porn stars indecent?" All right, so this is again dim thinking, dim-witted. I need you to isolate and identify the logical fallacy. So his point here is not that that he's not arguing for porn stars. Instead of trying to argue for his point, whatever his point is, it's just, well, we all know Tucker Carlson. He's a dweeb, and he probably watches internet porn. That He can't say that. So again, this is about, it gets to personalities, and it gets to events. It gets a little bit into that wartime thinking. But do you see the broken thinking? The question is on the idea. What is pornography? Is it decent or isn't it? is not it indecent? It's not about if someone has the moral authority to speak on it or if they've been consistent on their principle and what they think. Here was Tucker Carlson. Was, I'm not a huge fan of Tucker Carlson, but here's a fan. Here is Tucker Carlson trying to make an objective point about someone's labor, what they do for quote a living. In it's morality or it's immorality, and the response to him is dim witted because Cink Iger would really say he's at war. The these these uh these Republicans, these conservatives, these Tucker Carlson's they're going to destroy everything, and so it was just I gotta hit back at him. And it had nothing to do with right or wrong, it was just that's the personality, they're the enemy, we have to fight them. I think you can identify it there if you're on the right, you can see it easily on the left, even if you're on the left listening, you should be able to identify that fairly easily. There's a logical fallacy there. It doesn't add up, but that's what we're we're running in. We're running in this milieu of bad thinking because people tend to be obsessed with personalities, people tend to be obsessed with events and current events and ideas, but not, but not the excuse me, person uh, personalities and events, but never the ideas. I said something like this at the be- near the beginning of the show, but I do want to reemphasize it. I hope there's coming a day, and I do suspect there is that a lot of us are going to look back and regret how we spent this very silly season in politics. How much we obsessed over the day-to-day. How much we let personalities control our emotional lives and our thinking. You know, Just out on the left when it comes to the resistance. And even some of my folks on the right who opposed the president. You know what? You know what? I got happier is when I just kind of accepted. So he's going to be president for four years, maybe eight. Okay. That's what's going to happen now. So I guess we should live in that reality that just exists. And you know, this happens a lot of times in the business world. I will hear people talking about in their businesses. Uh, you know, in an ideal situation, here's all the things we could do. And then they, they complain about all the ways in which they can't do the things they would do in their ideal situation, to which I always want to come in and just say, all right, well, you don't get to have your ideal situation. You have the world in which you operate. So let's do the things we can do in the world in which we operate. There are those that are still waiting on some kind of supernatural miracle. I think a lot of folks have emotionally invested themselves in the Robert Mo- uh, Mueller probe for this, that there is just going to be this... This outside force that actually removes him and does justice, but like just even that obsessing over the president all day, you know why I am pretty happy because I I, I I don't I have other other things to do I'm kind of busy and then when I look at the news I know what the news wants me to do they want emotional reaction so I'll watch so I'll click so I read uh, so I'll read it and so I just start thinking through the ideas. And I think there's going to be a day coming where there is regret. Like, man, we just let this news cycle, de- like, I let CNN tell, Not, I'm not talking about me, but I hope eventually some people will go, I let CNN tell me what to care about that day. And I hope there's some of you that will one day go, I let Fox News tell me what to care about that day? That's weird. I let talk radio tell me what to care about that day? Then I should be a more independent thinker. I should be looking outside the systems and the structures that the world has given me on what to care about, and I should be formulating those things myself. I just think we're all broken in, in our thinking. It's abundantly clear that that's the case everywhere you look. we got to fix this war, wartime mindset. We have to fix this mindset that c- keeps us from any kind of consistency. We'll be back with more news in just a moment on The True Act Show. Welcome back into the show. I thought of another example of our broken brains, and I want to give it to you right now. But well, I guess real first I should tell you, you're listening to The True Act Show. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll get to sports here in just a moment. But it hit me this week. Uh, the president tweeted, uh, I'm just going to say it, it's, objecti- it's objectively dumb. He, he tweeted objectively dumb things about tariffs. Just as one example, you know, if we, if we have our tariffs, these tariffs are are such a good idea, we're going to be able to pay down our debt. Uh, no. Like, do you even know what the word debt means? Like, it would have been one thing if he would have said deficit, like pay down the one year deficit, the deficits we have every year. Like, you're not even close to touching the debt. Like, you got deficits running hundreds of billions of dollars. Before you can think about the debt, you got to think about the deficit. What are you even talking about? Tariffs are going to help pay off the deficit. That's insane. But it was the deficit itself because I'm old enough to remember back when Barack Obama went to a microphone when he was running for president in 2008 and said that George W. George W. Bush, it's unpatriotic. He's run up so much debt. It's $5 trillion of national debt. It's unpatriotic that he's done that. That's what Barack Obama said of George W. Bush. And then Barack Obama becomes president. And he runs up more debt in eight years than all previous presidents combined. And none of the left cared. All right, but the right cared a lot. Guys, we're starting to run some serious deficits over here. We're over $20 trillion in debt. Doesn't seem like anybody on the right cares. And it's just another example of the broken brain. Well, why don't we care? Because don't talk about that. We're at war. we got to win. That's where we are. I tell you, if you're obsessed about what happens in the news every day, let me tell you this. Your best course of action for helping the world be better is fix yourself, fix your own life, live a consistent life with what the things you say you believe, be involved in your community, be involved in your church, be a good father, grandfather, be a good good mother, grandmother, be a good brother or sister, be a good neighbor. These are the things that you need to do. And then help your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, those around you. Gently help them see when their thinking is bad. Uh, put out good thinking on the Internet, on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, if you're obsessed with all the things happening above you in the in the governmental world, you can't fix any of that, all right? You can't fix it. The uh, The government and the powerful people are just a reflection of us. They're terrible because we're terrible. They don't think clearly because we don't think clearly. A clear-thinking people will elect clear-thinking people. A moral and upright people will elect moral and upright people. you got to work on those around you and stop trying to affect the macro of the world and start trying to affect the micro. All right, so one thing I learned. I, I learned something this week I did not know, and I want to share it with you because I always um, get excited when I learn a new thing. So healthcare policy is something I have been very interested in for a long time. As in, uh, I had a professor of mine in 2007, uh, he taught me public policy at North Greenville University. I saw him years later, during the after Ob- Obamacare had already passed. I saw him like five years after that class because he, rem- and he remembered my term paper in that class was on healthcare policy. And I did something of a compare contrast between the Canadian system, and the American system, and just used the government statistics our statistics that the uh, department of what's that called centers of disease control, maybe, and also the um, he- health and human services, their statistics. And then also the government statistics from Canada on things like wait times and how much, uh, how, what kind of access people have to things like cat scans and x-rays, stuff like that. And he, he saw me five years after that paper and he said, man, you saw this coming, you saw this debate coming and I, I don't know that I did, I just know that I've always been into healthcare policy and I have thought since my earliest days into healthcare policy that the moment we probably broke our healthcare, like there's lots of moments along the way, but one of the, one of the major things we did along the way in breaking healthcare was when we linked your insurance to your employer and so, we added a layer of bureaucracy that not the the other major economies don't have, so it's not just the government and the uh, the doctors and you, or it's not just you and the doctors. It's not just you and your insurance company and the doctors. Depending on the different systems around the world, we added employers, like the person who pays your paycheck, got involved, and it was a, uh, it was weird. It wasn't helpful. It's not good policy, and so one of the things I've, I've always focused on is that's it needs to stop. We need to not have employers involved. It's one, it's one more layer keeping you away directly from your caregiver, whoever is providing the healthcare for you. It, it jacks up the prices more involving them. we got to find a way to make healthcare portable. Like your your policy shouldn't be linked to your employer. It should be linked to you. It should follow you around. That should be your relationship with the healthcare policy or health insurance policy. And I learned this week that we did that. We We started creating these systems of your employer helping with health care because of wage controls. So back in the FDR days when he was controlling everything, we were had this giant government during the new deal. One of the things he did was cap how much people could make and how, how big your raises could be. Cause it, I don't know what his, his thinking was there, but he was controlling how much people, how much money people could make. The Federal government was doing that and how big your raise could be. And so the, the corporations of America got very creative and said well we can't pay them a certain amount we can't give them raises above that so to compete for for employees because there was only so many qualified qualified employees what we're going to do is pay for their health insurance we're going to add that as part of their benefits package and that's how we're going to compete and make sure we have the best people at Ford at GM at Chrysler we're going to make sure we have them uh, have those great best people by offering offering them health care And so it created this really unfortunate byproduct that's been a major problem inside our healthcare system for a long time. And I only learned that this week. I only learned this week that that is why we have this terrible thing is because, as often is the case, when government gets involved and they create new rules and they create new bureaucracy, they create new regulation, it just mucks things up for everybody else. It makes things messier. And this core problem we have with healthcare being so expensive. One of the major drivers, it's being linked to employment. And that's happened almost 100 years ago when the government forced employers to compete using benefits instead of wages. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it, if it itemizes it. Where I work, they do a very good job of itemizing how much they're paying for me to have health insurance. Health insurance I never use because I'm young and healthy. And it's it's around 10 grand a year that they're paying in. I mean, consider how much it could change people's wages because it's coming out of my employer's pocket. They're paying it out; it's it's real dollars that are it's leaving their account and going to a health insurance provider. Consider how much more satisfied employers employees would be if it was instead of paying this ten grand to the health insurance company, we're going to pay you the ten grand and you go get your own health insurance. It could really fundamentally change the economy if we could get to that kind of system. We have another show coming up here soon that will get us into some uh, debate and disagreement. I know you enjoy those. Uh, Get the show on demand. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, connect there. Let's move on to sports. Are you. Welcome into the show, our sports correspondent Heath Powell. Hello, sir. Hello. So, college football now being three weeks away at the time this airs, what I want to do is give you the schedules of the top three contenders for a national championship, and you identify for me where the trouble might lie. Right. All right. So let's start with the number one team from the coaches poll, Alabama. Uh, you tell me if any of these games should be troublesome. At excuse me, neutral site for Louisville. Nope. At home for Arkansas State. No. Nope. At Ole Miss, week three. I don't think so. Okay. Four, four
1: years ago, Ole Miss was a trap game for Alabama. Um, okay. But they're in the – they're a dumpster fire right now, so.
0: Oh, yeah, they have had a lot of trouble. Yeah, they have big-time oh, trouble. Good point. So was, Yeah, even that great quarterback left and went to Michigan, I think. They did. Okay, I forgot about that. Uh, then they're, they're at home for Texas A&M. That'll be a good one. I think it's a good game. I,
1: I think depending on the quarterback situation in Alabama, if they're going to try to get to Tua Tagovailoa to run Alabama's offense and not cater it kind of more towards his skills, I think they're doing a disservice to him and the team, honestly.
0: I agree, and it makes me think feel for Jimbo Fisher. He has to play Dabo Sweeney <laughs> and Nick Saban right. in the same season. Right, That's not easy living. Is it not back-to-back weeks? Was that week three, Alabama? Was, yeah, they get some in-between um okay
1: because clemson week two is texas a&m
0: so in between they're going to get to play mississippi at home okay in between um then home for louisiana lafayette we'll leave it alone going to the uh chad morris arkansas razorbacks yeah
1: i hope arkansas wins that i don't see it happening this year
0: me either they don't have the talent yet uh at home for missouri win okay and then oh going to rocket top yeah rocket top win not even (laughs) not even hard no. Okay, here's my, uh, my my game for them that I really do think they can lose. I think going to LSU is always hard. It's
1: always hard. You know, you're in Death Valley B. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest. The I real Death Valley's in Clemson. I, this fantastic. is not an argument. That's well That's well done, um, sir. It, yeah, I think Alabama's going to win, though, honestly. Okay. I uh, think Ogeron's done after this year. I agree with I that. I think the players know that. I just don't think
0: he has the talent that he needs to win that game. At home from Mississippi State, win. Okay, and then the Citadel, and then that final one, they get Auburn at home. I'm picking Auburn. Okay, so actually, um, if they get the Auburn at home. I, I definitely think they win. They lose a game or two. It's me. It's Auburn or LSU. Yeah, it's
1: one or the other. Okay, you know, maybe both. You see, so you also don't see them going
0: undefeated. There's I gonna, do, I do not.
1: There's what, only one team I think that can go undefeated, that has a track to do that, and that's Clemson.
0: I agree. Uh, we'll go to UGA. Uh, their their schedule. So you and I both would say a 11 or 12 win season. Oh, Alabama. yeah. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, a 10 or 11 because we both think they'll I think one. you can
1: guarantee Alabama's a 10, 11 win team every year.
0: Yeah, they're a double digit team. Right. Uh, or win team. Okay, so we're going to disagree on week two in Georgia. They, they're they going to play Austin P first and beat okay. them. Okay. I think South Carolina on CBS, 330, at home, week two, I think they're going to give Georgia all they can handle. Georgia will win. I think it's gonna be nasty, tough.
1: I think Georgia rolls South Carolina. Rolls them. We only have to wait till. When I say roll, I mean fifteen or more.
0: I was gonna say fourteen or more is rolling. Right. Two possession games. Right. Yeah. Once you're at two possessions, you have blown them out at least, in my opinion. Uh, At home for Middle Tennessee is a win. Georgia then goes to Missouri. No, Missouri's done. It's win. Okay, so yeah, it's a win win for for Georgia. Georgia. Then Rocky Top comes to them in between the hedges. Tennessee, Rocky Top win. That's a brutal first couple of weeks, though. <laughs> in the first five weeks, they have to go to South Carolina, and get Tennessee at home. That's hard. That, that's a difficult
1: group there, but, you know, I think South Carolina has a lot more talent than they did two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're there yet. I think they overachieved last year, and I think they're down for uh, they're in for a letdown this year to me. Next up for them would be at home for Vanderbilt.
0: When? Then going to LSU. I might take LSU in this. One. I think I might too, As, especially if it were on like a Thursday or Friday night or right. something. But it's not. It's, <laughs> that's probably gonna be a game day game. Right. Uh, then you get the like, I think they call it the largest outdoor uh, cocktail party. That thing. Yeah. In Jacksonville for uh, Florida and Georgia, the the site. It's not in either home game. Right. It's Georgia. It's, yeah. I <laughs> for Florida right now, you better believe it. Yeah. Is. They go to Kentucky. Win. This is brutal at home for Auburn. I, I, Auburn may win that one I, they got tough ones
1: George, they do yeah
0: Georgia's not going undefeated let me tell you
1: yeah I think Georgia surprised a lot of people last year I don't think they'll be able to do that this year
0: yeah oh yeah we know what they're getting into right uh, then they are they get at home for UMass to tune up before they beat the living mess out of Georgia Tech right that is correct they're going to beat the, Yeah. <laughs> so it is the LSU game and it is the Auburn game not
1: that there aren't good defensive coordinators out there but if you want a blueprint to how to beat Georgia Tech Venable says it down to an art form now sure does um I'm not saying other guys don't know how to do it, but if you're not
0: sure, just watch some game film on Clemson and Georgia Tech. And Georgia probably has the personnel yeah, I'm sure they to do. Yeah. simulate right. what Venables does. Yeah, let me say a have real quick. It hits me. Uh, they get both Georgia and Alabama at home. Yep. You really do need to beat one of them. You you have to beat one of yeah. them. You get you, the, uh, the luck. You get the good fortune of having two home games against your two best teams. Right. Take advantage of that. Uh, as you saw, Clemson's done that. Yep. Some of those seasons where you have some tough ones that you get them at home, you gotta win at home. You have to win at home, and they do it. Um, all right, then final one. I just want to give you the give me the toughest game Clemson has. Here's where here we go. Okay. They're, they're at home for Furman. Win. Uh, going to A and M. Win. Clemson at home for Georgia Southern. Win. Go to Atlanta for Georgia Tech. Win. At home for revenge against Syracuse.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. There were a lot of factors to the Syracuse game in the dome last year. Kelly Bryant's hurt. I mean, you got all these factors. You know, Zarek Cooper, Hunter Johnson. I think they played the wrong guy, honestly. They did. Yeah. Um, I don't think Kelly Bryant should have even been dressed for that game. Nope. Um, this is going to be ugly.
0: I think it's 30 it's, points it's minimum. It's very ugly. Yeah. Um, as much as D- Dabo handled it well, didn't he go into the locker room after Yeah, that he game? went to the Syracuse, congratulated yeah. those guys. That was cool. I mean, they earned the win. But I think it is,
1: but it is payback time. They do not want to come down here this year. Nope. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you totally. Then they go to Wake Forest. When, Whatever. Uh right, Let's be honest, though. Wake Forest is going to have a very, very good year this year. Don't be surprised if they win eight or nine games. I was going to say
0: eight is my line. Yep. That's for eight. a pretty good year for Wake Forest. Right. You think they might get eight. Uh, okay. Eight or nine for me. I like it. Uh, then they're at home for the always pesky in NC State.
1: Always pesky. Can't stand them. Don't like Dave Doran.
0: Me either. I think they blow them out at home. Then going to uh, the tomahawk chopper people going to Florida State. Yeah, listen, people speak of Florida State with an air, mm-hmm.
1: like they speak of Alabama, but that is not Florida State now. Yeah, now it may be in three or four years with the new system coming in all that stuff. It's not right now. Then, it's just not. I agree.
0: Going then go. Oh, excuse me. Then home for Louisville. The Lamar Jackson was Louisville. I think it's a win. It's yeah, a win. Yeah. Uh, and then going on the road to the always good de-
1: defensively Boston College. They just can't score points. Yep. Boston College, another one that's going to sneak up on people.
0: I, you know, seven, eight, nine wins. That's a good program that's it's, been building. That's right. Yeah. With that defense. Then uh, I like that they put the Duke game before South Carolina. <laughs> they're <laughs> treating Duke like they're fervent. Right. They're going to roll Duke. Yeah, they're going to roll Duke. And then at home for South Carolina, I think that's a win. It's ugly yeah. again for the Gamecocks. Yeah. They're just not there yet. I think they compete, compete with Georgia at home. But Clemson at home right now. No one should touch
1: them at all. It, it, it's a different level r- right now. Yeah, the, not uh, saying that won't change in two years or three years or next year. Yeah, but as it stands now, that's a it's a different animal altogether. Since I
0: have one minute, there is talk of planning series with LSU and Georgia.
1: Yep, you love those things, right? You want those? Yes, things? I do. The the Clemson Georgia should be an every year. It, it should just happen. They're an hour and a half from each other. Why yes. are they not playing every year? It used to be that way in the 80s when Herschel Walker and all, Danny Ford and all these guys were around. Why did that stop? It should come back. I don't care if we play LSU or not, honestly. Georgia should happen every year or every other
0: year. Yeah, I agree. That's, it's absurd that it doesn't. Don't get it. me wrong. I would love to play LSU, but Georgia should happen. Then in these last 30 seconds, of all those Clemson games, what is the toughest one? Is it at, at A&M? I'll be
1: honest with you. It's got to be at A&M, just to me, from the outside looking in. and it's, I think you're um, doing that out of –
0: uh, elimination order of elimination that's is correct, well, That's the toughest one
1: because none of them, none of the other games should be close. Yeah, um, the only reason Texas A&M should be close is they're at home. There's 120,000 people there. Yeah, Huge you stadium. know they have a new coach, blah blah blah. But
0: Clemson should win that. We'll be back next week to maybe talk some Heisman hopefuls. I
1: think. Yeah, we, we need to talk some uh, Ohio State drama.
0: We could do some of that next week too. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.